following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. so grateful that uh, every once in a while my good buddy Jordan asked if I could come down the, the street here to uh, preach for uh, a bit. Uh, many of you know that I just live, uh, boy, five minutes away on Miami Road, and that was really brought to light when not long ago I was in the Panera, and Mary Shorey came in with her son Ethan, and Ethan says, hey, we know him. He's the guy with the big hairy tree. <laughs> well, let me show you what he was talking about here. That's, uh, that's the willow tree in front of my house on Miami Road. And uh, the next picture will show that it is a pretty good-sized tree with me there. But uh, to Ethan, I'm known as the guy with the big, hairy tree. I don't know if Mary and her whole family say that when they go past. Hey, you know that pastor? He's the guy with the big, hairy tree there. But... Um, we want to be known for something, and it's interesting that in the book of Acts, it talks about the fact that there was this woman named Dorcas who was known for all of her good deeds and acts of charity or good works. And then in Acts chapter 10, we pick up where there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius who is known for all of his righteous acts and his giving of alms, and he had a great reputation well, uh, for a little guy, I'm known as the guy with the big hairy tree. I hope at my funeral they have better things to say about me than, well, remember, he was the guy with the big hairy tree. But uh, perhaps that I was full of good works, as it says there. Um, you know, a uh, strange thing happened. I do interims generally at churches, and last November I finished up in um, uh, Chicago and uh, I opened up my calendar, looked at it, and the only thing I had for the rest of the year on my calendar was uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas written in there. I didn't have a thing in my calendar, first time in my life. I actually had this thought, maybe I'm going to die on the way home. My life's over with, you know, I have a wreck or something. Is this it, Lord? But I was reading through the book of Acts, and I came to a passage that I found a little line in that gave me like a new vision for my life. And uh, I'd like to share that with you. And I want you to know that we can all live out this vision. It's a little line about the life of Jesus between his baptism with John that began his earthly ministry and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And it just summarizes his whole earthly ministry time in one little phrase. Well, we're going to have it up on the screen, but if you uh, would look, um, in Acts chapter 10, we'll begin with verse 34, and uh, we'll go through verse 40, and I'm going to highlight that little phrase we're going to camp on. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, 
And, uh, and by the way, that was a two-day trip. That was about 30 miles of walking for him to go there. And Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, even a Roman centurion. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what's happened throughout all Judea. They knew about it by hearing. Peter knew about it by experience. And there's a big difference. He said, I know you've all heard about uh, this, this Jesus. And it says, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with power, and here's the phrase, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now, I in no way want to discount the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the greatest benefit that we have through Christ is his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension for the forgiveness of our sins. He did that. We can't do that for one another. But when I got home, I leashed up my little Australian shepherd, and I went down to Potato Creek and took a walk. After I had read this, and I thought of that phrase that says, Peter summarized three years of Jesus' life with one little phrase. He just went around. It means to traverse or to walk. And by the way, Jordan and I have uh, had the privilege of doing a lot of walking in Israel. The thing that astounds you, if you've ever been, is how small it is. You can put four and a half nations of Israel inside Indiana. <laughs> That's how small it is. Jesus just... If you caught him on a normal every day, and you'll see it in the Gospels, he was walking around doing good. And it is an unusual term. It means benefacting. He went around meeting the needs of people, giving them benefits of his from the Father. And I got to thinking when I was out there hiking, you know, maybe my time's over with. But I tell you what, I can go around doing good. I can go around, and then I start thinking, well, what are, what are the ways that Jesus went around doing good? Now, it says that Peter stayed with Cornelius a few days, and he had his family and friends there. You know, Peter said, or he said to Peter, Peter, you got to be with him. You're a witness. You ate with him, it says, after he resurrected. What was that like? Tell me. You said he went around doing good. Tell me what that was like. I was walking down Potato Creek talking to my dog about this. And uh, I thought, I'm just going to go through the English alphabet and see if I can come up with 26 ways in which Jesus went around doing good. And I was able to come up with them, and you could come up with your 26 too, but we're going to walk through this together. We'll actually have to walk fairly fast because... We got 26 of them to, uh, to cover. I should have done it in Hebrew. You don't have 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> but uh, the first one I thought about for A, and you can write these down, we have verses 
he attended. And by that I mean he responded to the invitations. Jesus went to weddings. Jesus went to funerals. Jesus went to parties. When he was invited, he responded. By the way, uh, Jesus, man, he, he, if he shows up, you run out of wine, he makes wine at a wedding. You run, if you uh, are dead, he raises you from the dead. You know, I want, you know, everybody says, um, actually, I heard where people are actually, they have money set aside to have um, Botox done on their dead body in their caskets now. Yeah, they want, they want people to say they look the best they ever did. I don't want that. I want them to say, he moved. <laughs> He's not dead yet. <laughs> well, that would happen at a G uh, Jesus' funeral. But he attended. You know, uh, Neil and Barb Andrews are here this morning, uh, friends of ours. When my uh, parents died, uh, it's over in Lima, Ohio. And it was, if I remember, I was an icy... Icy night, too. Uh, and in the funeral line, there were the Andrews. Drove three hours in a in a ice storm. It ripped me up. It wasn't like they were in the neighborhood. <laughs> they attended. Do you know what it means when we do such things? We show up. Jesus showed up. And I thought, I can show up. When Jesus showed up, he befriended people. Jesus was a friend of sinners. You know, today we have these terms, unfriend, defriend. To my knowledge, Jesus never unfriended or defriended a soul. As a matter of fact, he was known as the friend of what? Sinners. Jesus could have written that song, I've got friends in low places. <laughs> he could have. He was accused of it. You're hanging out with the low life. Yeah, uh, the physician came for the sick, not those that are well. And... Uh, Jesus befriended people, and we, I, I can make friends, but when Jesus became your friend, he changed people. I assume a lot of you have watched this, The Chosen. I love The Chosen. One of my favorite characters in The Chosen is Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her, and they have these key lines that they repeat. I love this one of her. She's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to understand what happened to her, and she said, I was one way... And now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. A lot of people could say that in the Bible. You know, I was one way, and then I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was I met Jesus. You know that you can change people's lives as well. You share the gospel, you can change somebody's life. Just be the gospel to people. Jesus just didn't go around. He, he picked 12 guys that he poured himself into. He discipled them. You know, in our culture, it's like I'll take a 12-week course on discipleship, and then I'll get a little certificate. You know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, the best way to understand discipleship is an apprenticeship or a journeyman. You know, I come from a family. I'm the only one that ever went to college out of my family, my brought siblings. But they, they all are tradesmen, They're carpenters, electricians. But they all went through an apprenticeship. And I look at that and a journeyman and so forth. That's what it was like. Jesus took 12 guys and they were with him. Peter could have told Cornelius, I got to walk with him. 
He trained me. I was a fisherman. He said, drop your net. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Learned a new trade, how to fish for men. Jesus discipled, and that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of putting up with people. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to put up with those 12 rascals, the original dirty dozen? <laughs> now, one thing we learn in Israel, when we are on a trip and we're out and we hike it, Jordan knows this, every rock to the left that's big enough is a women's restroom. And every rock on the right is a men's restroom. That's how it was with Jesus. <laughs> they didn't have roadside rest over there. That's how they lived. Can't you imagine that at least one out of, of the 12 was snored like a bear? <laughs> you know, it'd be like, Peter, you go 100 yards away, <laughs> something like that, you know. They had to put up with each other, but they lived life, and Jesus discipled them. He spent quality time. They ate together. They would eat together. In that culture, you just didn't eat with anybody. If you sat down and ate with someone, it was a symbol of approval. And that's why Peter said, I can't go to Cornelius' house. He's not kosher. And, of course, he had the vision, and he was sent there, and he, uh, he ate with them. And, but Jesus, um, as a matter of fact, I've said before, it's a good thing that they walked a long way in between appointments back then, or Jesus would have been obese. He's always eating, <laughs> And uh, he'd eat with, um, we see it with a handful of people. He'd eat with Zacchaeus. He ate with Matthew, the tax collector. He was always eating with people, even a Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee. But interestingly, Jesus usually provided the food. Uh, if we look at the next one here, he would feed people. He fed 11 men on the beach after his resurrection. We know he fed 5,000 at one time, and that was just men. They claimed that if you counted the women and children, it probably was about 15,000, then 4,000 at another time. Jesus would eat with people, and he would provide the food. You know, we can do that too. At this chapter of life where we have more time, um, many of the senior citizens in the church where I pastored, um, because I have a history with them and a new pastor doesn't, they want me to do their funerals. So Jan and I often will call up uh, an elderly widow and we'll say, hey, we're coming to your house for supper and we're bringing pizza. We're going to pick up a pizza and come to your house for supper. And uh, it just means the world to them. And then I usually say, listen, I, I understand you want me to do your funeral. <laughs> yeah, that ruins a meal. <laughs> no, actually, they're very happy. I said, listen, could we take this occasion to maybe plan it a little bit? Um, can you tell me some songs you might want um, and maybe some verses? And sometimes I'll tell them that ahead of time. Hey, we're bringing pizza over, and uh, why don't we plan your funeral while we're, we're there? And <laughs> I know that sounds really strange. It means the world to them. It really does. Um, we can eat meals with people. One of the saddest things is, uh, I can't remember the statistic, but uh, how most people eat alone for the most part. Uh, single men eat over the sink <laughs> for the most part. Why? They, they don't have to clean anything up, you know? But Jesus would share meals with people. And then he grieved with people as well. 
we can think of many places, but this passage talks about the death of Lazarus, and it said Jesus wept. Jesus grieved with Mary and Martha. When he came in, Peter could say to Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you, you stoned the prophets, you killed those that are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you under my wings, the mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. He could have said to Cornelius, that's what he was like. He grieved with people. He, he rejoiced with people, but he grieved with people. And then he could say this, he held people. He touched people. He held children. He could have said, Cornelius, let me, let me tell you about an event that occurred. Cornelius, you know that in our culture, children are supposed to be just kind of out of the way. But people kept bringing children to Jesus to have him touch them, it says, to bless them. And it was bothering the disciples because they thought it was a bother to Jesus. And they told him to stay away. Jesus saw it. And it's one of the few places it says Jesus was indignant. It's a strong term. It actually means Jesus snorted. He went, huh. His nostrils flared up is what it means. And he said, stop it. Bring the children to me of such of the kingdom of heaven. And it says he placed his hands upon them and blessed them. Now, boy, we just came through two years of we're not supposed to be within six feet of each other. Um, and that's been detrimental if you read the statistics. It's, humans aren't supposed to live that way. <laughs> and, um, but Jesus would touch people all the time. Uh, we live in a high-tech, not a high-touch society. I can touch people. Um, you know, Melba, you came in six months ago today. Did, uh, Jordan and I did uh, Art's funeral. When you came in, I hugged you. You hugged me. That means something, doesn't it? <laughs> Thumbs up, she says. Yeah, and uh, Peter could have said that. He initiated. Now, again, these are mine. I think he could have said, you know the thing about Jesus? Jesus didn't hole up in a synagogue <laughs> in his office and have office hours. Jesus was out and about. He initiated relationships and contacts. Um, he said, come and see, and they stayed at his house. He said, drop your nets. He walked along the beach. He told Matthew, I'm coming to your house, Matthew. He told Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm coming to your house. He invited himself. <laughs> uh, 41 times in the Gospel of Mark, it says immediately, immediately, immediately. He was always on the move. Again, I think Peter could have said, you know, these uh, rabbis, they tend to have, they just stay in the synagogue and expect everybody to come to them. Not Jesus, that rabbi, he was on the move. Scholars have studied it out and said that they believe Jesus walked approximately 23 miles in his lifetime. From the time he walked back from Egypt with his parents to Israel, approximately 23,000 miles, almost around the earth in that little postage stamp on earth, always on the move. This next one, uh, Jay, I came up with, he jumped with them. Now, where in the world does it say Jesus jumped with anybody? <laughs> That's where you need a little bit of understanding of uh, the, the language. In the Greek language, the word rejoice 
comes from the root word to jump up and down. One time, Peter could say, we went out, Jesus sent us out, and the demons were obeying us, casting out demons. We came back where we were jumping up and down for joy. We were rejoicing, and Jesus jumped up and down and rejoiced as well. And then Jesus looked up to the heavens, and he said, I thank you, Father, that you haven't revealed these things to the wise and prudent, but you've revealed them to babes. And it says, and Jesus rejoiced. Jesus jumped up and down for joy. Do you jump up and down for joy with people? <laughs> um, you're just excited for them. You grieve with them, but you also say, yes, yes. And they know you're happy for what's happened in their lives. Jesus would express his great joy, Peter could have said. He knew us. He, he, uh, he invested time, and he knew me. He knew me so well. He, he One time when we were talking about who's going to be the greatest, he said, hey, Peter, what were you guys talking about on the road? All what we were going to have for supper? <laughs> no. no, it was about who's the greatest. He knew me. He knew my pride. He knew I would deny him. He, uh, he knew that I loved him, though, because when we walked on the beach afterwards, he said, Peter, do you love me? And I said, you know I love you. And he said, go ahead and feed my lambs. He, Jesus knew his sheep, and uh, he, he knew them by, by name. He, uh, he loved, he could have said to Cornelius, he loved us to the very end, right up in communion time, right Right at the very end, he loved us to the nth degree is what it means. He laid down his life for us. We always knew that he loved us. He would meet with people. M. He could say, you know, there was this uh, Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he had audacity to say to Jesus, I want to meet with you, but I want to meet with you at night in the dark so no one knows. And Jesus didn't say to him, no, my office hours are 9 to 5, <laughs> except on the Sabbath. <laughs> no. Jesus humbly went and met with him at night. Jesus did everything in his power to fit into another person's schedule within reason. And I think we can, too. We can... Go and do things when it's inconvenient. Um, N comes after M. <laughs> right? <laughs> he named them. I love this. Peter could have said to Cornelius, you know, Jesus, he, he loved us so much, he gave us nicknames. And they always had some mean, like there were James and John. Man, they, those guys had fiery tempers. And that Jesus toned them down, but he called them the sons of thunder. And he kind of gave them the nickname because he at least loved their passion. And me, my name, um, he, uh, he made me, named me Peter. He said he's going to turn me into a rock, changed my name. And uh, those are almost like terms of endearment. You know, uh, at this chapter of life, uh, I, I actually think I talk more to my dog in a normal day than any other human being. <laughs> I'm at Potato Creek a couple hours a day with my dog, and uh, 
we're just uh, going along there and having a great time, a little Australian shepherd. But I ran into this guy named Bob, and he had this huge, I've seen him a few times, huge dog, uh, like a German shepherd. And uh, we were passing each other, and uh, I said, wow, I said, What's, uh, how much does that dog weigh? He said, 135 pounds. I said, man, I said, and it looked like it had dysplasia. I said, how, how old's your dog? He said, 14. I said, or no, he said 10, 10 years old. And uh, I said, wow. I said, what's your dog's name? He said, well, he, he came with the name Bullet, but I call him Puppy. <laughs> I said, Puppy, he's 10 years old, weighs 135 pounds. You call him Puppy? He looks at me, he goes, uh, what's your dog's name? I said, wow, she came with the name Heidi, but I call her a little one. And he just laughed at me, and I laughed too, like we were both caught. We have terms of endearment for our dog. Now, years ago, we had a dog I didn't like. It was brown. I named it Brown Dog, <laughs> just generic. <laughs> no, uh, no nickname for that dog. Did you ever think about that? Jesus gave those who he loved, many of them, nicknames. What do you think that would have meant to Cornelius, just learning about what it was like when Jesus walked all around? Oh, he opened our eyes. I thought I could see, but I was blind spiritually. Jesus was always healing blind people, but what he said is we're all spiritually blind. And um, he said, you know, after... Uh, after his resurrection, two, two guys were on a road to Emmaus, and uh, they came back, and they said, he opened our eyes. We, we saw him in the breaking of the bread, and, and our hearts were burning within us while he walked with us along the way. You know, that was a seven-mile walk that changed their lives. <laughs> Would have been, what, a couple hours, and then they ran back. But uh, if you're here and you know him, he opened your eyes. And we can help other people's eyes open up by our own words, by our own actions. Um, he prayed with and for people. I think this one would have really moved Peter. Peter could have said, Cornelius, I'm here because I was up on a rooftop praying, and, and you were praying, and that's why I was sent here. Prayer's powerful. Boy, I tell you, I blew it so bad, Cornelius. I denied that I knew him three times. And when he saw me again, he says, uh, or before it happened, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. But Peter, Satan desires to sift you out like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter. And after you've been restored, strengthen your brothers. Wow, one time, Cornelius, we went out in Capernaum. Man, crowds were coming, and we couldn't find Jesus early in the morning. I went out, I found him, he... He was out in a solitary place praying. And I said, Jesus, we've got crowds here. And Jesus said, we're leaving. Uh, i got to go around to all these other villages. It was through prayer that he got his insight on what to do. Let me tell you something I think is just so powerful. When people tell you something, don't say, I'll pray for you. Pray for them. Write that moment on the phone, in person. Just say, could I pray for you right now? First of all, you might forget, but they wouldn't know that you did pray. It is a powerful thing to say to a person, let's pray right now. And Peter knew 
So much so, Peter and the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He prayed with and for them. This next one, Q, he questioned them. What an honor. Jesus, the one who knew everything, says to Peter, or says to the disciples, he didn't say, let me tell you who I am. I'm the son of God. He goes, who do you guys think I am? Well, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. Yeah, but who do you say I am? Peter goes, you're the son of God. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. He opened up your eyes, and, but he asked the question. Do you want to have good conversations with people? Ask questions. Jesus knew everything, but he still asked questions because he knew it's more powerful when you're led into the right answer. What, a, what an honor to Peter. He revealed the Father. Peter could say, you know, I was steeped in Judaism. He says, I, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. And yet, I didn't really know the Father until I knew the Son. And we can do that too. He could say uh, to Cornelius, Cornelius, I thought I knew God. I didn't know God the Father until I saw him lived out in his son's life. Uh, Philip, at the very end, says, Jesus Show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, I've been with you this long, Philip, and you say, show me the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is my favorite that I came up with, the next one, because the one that I want to work on the most. He sanctified. First of all, he sanctified himself, and then he sanctified other people. It means he set himself apart as holy for God's use so that he could have that impact on other people in his high priestly prayer he says father i sanctify myself unto you so that i can sanctify others what's that i work really hard and of course jesus did it perfectly to live a god honoring life set apart for you so that i'm usable to sanctify other people to bring them in as well I like this next one I came up with, too. He, he, he could tell Cornelius, you know, he trusted the likes of us. What a motley crew, <laughs> uh, his men. He trusted us. He sent us out two by two. And, you know, I have a hunch that when Jesus sent him out two by two, he did things like this. I know that Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, outside of their relationship with me would kill each other you two are going out together <laughs> and you're going to work out your differences um because he united us that's the you he was able to bring people so diverse together he united matthew and simon the zealot and, and uh simon peter he visited and that would be he went to the homes of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, sort of his uh, vacation home whenever he was in the Jerusalem area. It was, uh, a room was always open. Uh, to Zacchaeus, to, to Peter's mother-in-law. He visited them. Again, he's taking the initiative. He walked with them. And um, again, I think Peter could say, Cornelius, you need to understand, Jesus didn't, he didn't stay in Capernaum. 
He was always on the move. He would go to the synagogues, but we slept outside, and we walked a lot. <laughs> Let me tell you something I think is really powerful. You know, all religions, it seems, have some type of a physical uh, endeavor that goes along with it, like medi uh, yoga or something. I think walking goes with Christianity. We have this word walk all through Scripture. There's something about, and I'll do it with people. People want to have an appointment. I'll say, could you, could you meet me at Potato Creek and we'll take a walk? We get more done. First of all, they're not looking straight at you. You're both looking out this way, and there's a little more freedom to talk. Take a walk. The X, I was having a hard time with. But I got creative. Next one. He extra mild. <laughs> he, uh, he told others, go the extra mile. Somebody asked you to go a mile, go too. Peter could have said to Cornelius, he always went the extra mile. For instance, at the Last Supper, knowing what Judas was going to do, he set Judas in the seat of honor and gave him the sup which was a statement of love and respect. To the very end, he said, Judas, you're going to betray me with a kiss? He was trying to win Judas over at the very end, knowing what was in him. He went the extra mile. We can go the extra mile with people. Why? He yielded to the Father. He could tell Cornelius, man, at the Garden of Gethsemane, I was sleepy, so I'm sleeping on the job. He asked me to pray, but he came and he had sweat all over him. And he had been praying, prayed it three times. Father, if at all possible, take this cup away. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done. He always pleased the Father. He always yielded his will to the Father's will. That's what he was like, Cornelius, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then finally, Z. Zeal for his father's house ate him up. That's a direct quote in John 2. When he turned over the money changers and, and uh, ran the animals out, and he was indignant again. He was snorting again at that point. Um, why was he so upset, Cornelius? Because they had set those booze up in the court of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles couldn't even be near the temple near God's presence at that time. He got really angry about that, and he said, "This my father's house is a house of prayer, and you made it a den of thieves. He always, always had the Gentiles in mind because he came for everyone, Cornelius, and that's why I'm here, Cornelius. He came for you. And then we see that Cornelius and his household accepted Christ. And then uh, Peter went on, and walked back to uh, Joppa, and then on to uh, uh, Jerusalem. So what do we do with all this? When I got all done, um, I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to have another speaking engagement, but here I am. <laughs> but I may not have another interim, but I can't tell you how excited I've gotten about this. Almost like a calling on my life now that, I can go around doing good. I can do that in Jesus' name.
Not discounting the fact a little bit later, he says the greatest benefit he ever did was he died for our sins. But during our earthly journey down here, I think we need to take that little phrase and say, you know what? I'm going to go around doing good in my daily life. It will amaze you the opportunities that come up, but you also need to initiate. Mother Teresa said, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. I like this line. I read it, just saw a sign that said, do simple better. <laughs> I like that. Do simple better. I like this one too. To die for a cause is noble, but to die daily for a cause is even more noble. Oh, I'd give my life for you, Jesus. Why don't we start today? <laughs> it says, Jesus, or Peter, or Paul says, I died daily. And then finally, and then I'll conclude, read this little poem. I'm writing a gospel chapter a day by everything I do everything I say others read me so do you hey what's the gospel according to you <laughs> what kind of gospel are you writing Jesus went around doing good let's do so also amen let's pray Lord Jesus thanks for the opportunity to share this message that I believe you shared with me as uh, just a real motivator for daily life. I pray that you'd use it in each of our lives and uh, we begin an adventure of just going around doing good, not for salvation, but to represent you and uh, to see you use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you. Would you please stand? I'm going to sing in response to this.
be seated. On the first Sunday of the month, we always take uh, a few short moments and um, not a few short moments. You're going to be playing for a while, by the way, if you want to come out. That's fine. <laughs> Very good. All right. I just didn't want her back there working the whole time. Um, on the first Sunday of the month, we always pause and take communion and we don't just take a few short moments. Uh, we reflect on it. So if you have somewhere you need to be, uh, by all means, go for it. But I wouldn't leave if I were you. Um, Craig is a dear friend of mine. And um, one thing that we always talk about uh, whenever we preach is be clear, be clear, be clear. And uh, the same goes with everything that we do here at Community Gospel Church. I don't think I've ever taken um, a 26-point sermon, by the way. So fantastic work there. Um, Communion, for some of you, you know exactly what that is, and some of us have no idea. And so in front of you, there is a white book, um, and we have tried to be as clear as possible with the things that we do here at Community Gospel Church. So in there, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, in other words, if you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, you need to go to the page that says the gospel. The gospel is the bad news and the good news that the bad news were sinners, and the good news is what John 3.16 tells us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you or me, believe in him would not perish but have everlasting and eternal life. I didn't accept the gospel to go to heaven. That is just a part of the gospel. I needed somebody who was going to walk through life with me and not just wait till I get to eternity. So Jesus is just as much for today as he is for eternity. And I would just ask that you read that today. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, Make the best decision that you'll ever make. Um, and that is simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I know so many of us have made that decision. And so we get to communion and we wonder, what is communion? Well, there is a page in there. And essentially, that's just a tool or a guide to walk you through communion. Communion at the core is reserved for followers of Christ. It calls us to examine our relationship with God. And I'm not here to give another sermon. I'm just walking through this in hopes that we would be clear. The purpose of communion is to help us remember. So in a few short moments, we're going to ask you to stand up and go to these tables where the elements are there. And you can receive those elements, take them back to your pew. And we want you to contemplate and take that on your own, the blood that was shed on the cross and the body of Christ that was broken for us. We are to remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but as Easter shows us, he didn't stay dead. He arose. And so when we take communion, we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But we also remember a promise that God gave us in the Bible that he is coming back again soon. And so we cling to that. It's just a symbol. Nothing magical happens when you take communion today. There's nothing that happens from the time you stand up to the time you take the elements. There's simply symbols that demonstrate um, what Christ did for us. The bread that you have in your hand or will have in your hand is a symbol of Jesus's body that was broken for us. In Matthew 26, it walks through that. The cup is a symbol of Jesus's blood that was poured out for us. And so before taking communion, we are called to examine our hearts. There are a couple of things that I came across this past week that caused me to examine my heart. So many of the great Puritans have penned so many fantastic words. The late J.C. Ryle wrote, 
they taught constantly the inseparable connection between true faith and personal holiness. They never allowed for a moment that any church membership or religious profession was the proof of a man's being a true Christian in the life he lived if it were an ungodly life. A true Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, manifests always the fruit of the Spirit. Those fruits must be plainly manifested and unmistakable in all relations of life. So as I take communion, the first thing I do is I ask, am I manifesting the fruit of God in my everyday life? The 26 traits that Craig gave us of Jesus, am I like that? Ryle continues and he says, no fruit, no grace. The unvarying tenor of the preaching of the Puritans. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, periodical godliness is perpetual hypocrisy. Richard Baxter said it like this. Take heed to yourself, lest you examine the example that you set in your doctrine. Lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hindrances of the success of your own labor. One proud, surly, lordly word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing. Let your lives condemn sin and persuade men to their duty that we have in Christ. Ask yourself as we examine scripture today, does my life represent Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, we ask God for forgiveness. Before we take communion, we ask that he forgive us of our sins. We also examine our hearts so that our relationships are right with each other. We want to make sure that we are pursuing unity in the body of Christ, that we're seeking the other person's best. So if you need to do diligence today and ask for forgiveness for your brothers and sisters in Christ, by all means, walk across the room and do so. So spend some time examining the importance of repenting of any sins before you take communion. If you're not a believer and you're still contemplating the decision to trust Christ, please refrain from taking communion today. Perhaps open up your Bible and read Luke 22. See what the bread represents. Pray and thank Jesus for his body that was broken for us. Spend some time thanking Jesus for the love that he showed on the cross. Read Hebrews chapter 9 that says that the cup represents the shedding of blood where there can be no forgiveness without the complete shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And we pray and we thank Jesus for giving us a way to have a relationship with God. Let me pray for you before we get up and take our elements. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my dear brother Craig, who calls us to the cross and to your son Jesus. And I thank you for this church and the fact that we have set aside time not only to pray, but also to participate in the disciplines that you told us to participate in. One of those being the Lord's Supper and communion, that you want a relationship with us. If there's anyone here today, God, who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they make the best decision they could ever make. And that's not that life might get better, but that there would be somebody to walk beside them. And they would walk behind them and would walk in front of them and most importantly, dwell within them. And that is your spirit that you give us because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So many of us have made the decision to follow Jesus. 
And so, God, as we get ready to remember, like you told us to remember, we ask that you would help us to examine our hearts. And if there is anything that you find in us that is not like Christ, we ask that it would be destroyed. As we take the bread and as we drink the cup, help us to remember the sacrifice on the cross so that we can live our lives in honor and glory that you so rightfully deserve. Lives of adoration for the gospel that we have received. But God, help us also to take these elements today, remembering that you are coming again soon. And may we always do what Peter told us to do, which is live with anticipation to that great day that is coming. Always be ready. Always be prepared. This world and what it offers is useless. But your word is useful. Help us to cling to it today as we do these things in remembrance of you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. You may um, receive your elements. Again, you can take them as you see fit. There's a table up here. There's two in the back and then one up here too as well. Go ahead and take those elements, take them back, examine your hearts, and then we'll pray to close uh, after some time has expired.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today with your people. We thank you for uh, just the amazing things that you've done. You're a good God. You love us and you take care of us. You're sovereign over all things. We know that we're sinners. We fall short of that glory, but we're still able because of your mercy and grace to sing glorious, glorious. You are glorious. God, it's one thing to sing here in the presence of the saints, and it's a whole different thing to sing out in the secular world. And as we remember your death and your resurrection and the relationship that we have with you, we just would pray, God, that you would help us to be more than conquerors in Christ. We pray, Lord Jesus, as we examine our hearts, that we would continually do that as we fight against the flesh. We pray that you would give us the ability to break strongholds. Um, We pray that you would give us the opportunity to see your hand in all things. So open our eyes. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to be reminded of the fact that we have your spirit within us and that you are good and that your love endures forever through trials and tribulations and doctor's tests and all of the things that we we come in contact with. We know that we need to be faithful and trust. And even if you would take us away from this earth, that it would be great for us because we would be in your divine presence for eternity. So help us to remove our eyes from the things that we want that are of this world and help us to be reminded of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us home. We sing now to you, God, and we give you the praise and adoration that you deserve as we get ready to be sent out. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and sing yourselves out today? Oh! 
with God through faith in Christ. There are people with yellow lanyards all across uh, the sanctuary. They would love to talk to you about that. If you just want somebody to pray for you, uh, we would love to pray for you as well. I asked Craig, I said, when we get done with the service, we always have a benediction or a close or a way that we can kind of send people out. I said, what would your prayer be for our people as uh, they heard the word and sung the word? And he said this, and what we do at Community Gospel is we extend our hands to receive this as we go out, he said, may you walk through each day anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And may you be full of good works done out of gratefulness to the God who spared not his only son, but gave him up for us all. And with him gives us all the good things. Peace be with you. You are dismissed.
Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.